This is Coda Radio, episode 435, for October 11th, 2021. Hello, friends. Welcome to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by Cloud Guru. You know, they have that cloud playground, Azure, AWS, or Google Cloud sandboxes on ACG's credit card, not yours. Get certified, get hired, get learning at cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is the man who's been burning the midnight oil, but taking a nap before the show. It's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Mr. Fisher. I like this employment of the nap strategy. So, you know, you know, you got to be fresh for the show. I mean, that's like pro move. It's pro. Oof. I'm impressed. You know, I just came out of the woods this morning. I went in for my reading weekend and I only got through a book and a half. Didn't really work out the way I wanted, but it was still really enjoyable. I was I was actually looking forward to hearing about that. I enjoyed it a lot. And I, I think the concept is sound. Um, I just need to clear my schedule a little bit more, I guess, because I ended up having to drive in and, you know, the whole, th- the whole thing. But I still really enjoyed the time I did get out there. Um, oh, and the other thing that was kind of funny is I'm used to going out there and it just being no one around for like miles. But I guess it's like salmon season right now in the Pacific Northwest. So uh, all the fishermen were out in the woods, like finding the good fishing spots along the riverbed. And um and then, you know, they drink while they fish all day. <laughs> and then when the sun sets, they load up in their trucks and they go bombing through the woods, running into crap and driving 35 miles per hour, having a good old time blasting their music in the dark. And it was quite the experience. So I learned pretty quickly, like when when the sun sets, I'm going to get inside for a bit. <laughs> let the fishermen clear out. <laughs> yeah, let them uh, have their time. But I came out of the woods and I saw a pretty big announcement from you. Um, It's like, it's here, it's real, and we're going to talk about it today. I don't know how much you want to say now, but it seems like a pretty big congratulations is in order. Thank you. Yeah. So finally, finally, after 5,000 years, Alice is at a 1.0 state, i.e. launched. Congratulations! If you've noticed the the Python content, she's in Python. Yeah. I mean, I know we have some more stuff on it, but yeah, basically it's a Rosetta Stone for data. So it's like, you know, I've been trying to do these automation things for a while. Um, I found that dealing with people's proprietary data from like whatever insane system that somebody built for them and, you know, the aughts, the early aughts was always like the problem. So what she does, I call it universal data fluency, which it's really catchy for like, the PM types. So if you're a PM and yeah. you like it, thank you. Um, where she can analyze data, compare it to known data types, and try to understand it based on what she already knows. Obviously, the idea is as I introduce more integrations, more types of data. She learns more stuff. More Learns more stuff, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll probably talk more about that in a little bit. But thank you. Well, congratulations again. Yes, we will. We're definitely going to talk more about that, uh, but we had a couple of emails come in that we felt like ah, we got to answer these. So we're gonna we're gonna stick to the format for a bit, and there's also some hoopla. But then we're we're gonna dive in. So stick around for that. First, let's start with Ethan. Ethan kind of feels I think like he's running out of time. He says, "Hey guys, I'm writing in because I'm facing a bit of a dilemma. I'm a computer science student trying to get a job before I graduate. However, I don't have any on the job experience. I've been trying for internships, but." In this last year of school, it looks like all of them are booked out until summer of 2022. 
I feel like my skills are diverse, but I'm trying to find a job for either positions that I could possibly work in, which would be an embedded systems programmer or perhaps an OS developer. I just don't necessarily have all the skills yet. I have been working on a operating system as a side project, and I have tried applying for some DevOps internships. However, nothing's really clicked. I've had some projects stall because of various bugs involving something that come up, or maybe something just doesn't work out. I know a few different programming languages, including C++, Python, Go, and Rust. I have some sysadmin experience for both Linux and Windows, and I have a bit of database experience. But I don't really understand what the majority of the jobs I find seem to require, like automation skill sets like SaltStack or Kubernetes or Ansible. At this point, I'm just not really sure where to start looking or even if I'm looking in the right place. Overall, I'm wondering if my skills are the right skills for the kind of jobs I want, if I'm looking in the right place, if I should just go for internships in 2022, if there's something I'm overlooking. Any advice you guys could offer, I'd appreciate. And the email's kind of all over the place, Mike, and I read through it and before the show, and the, the vibe I got from this was he's sort of a, a, a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of guy, and uh, he's also not really following through. Like, he's got two projects that he's put on the shelf because, like, a roadblock was encountered, and he kind of just ran out of steam on them. And it kind of seems like he's just all over the place with the skill sets. And I think maybe that's his core issue. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, a little bit of focus on that might, might make it a little easier to, I hate the word marketable when it comes to people, but I, I think that's the right word here, right? To be a little more marketable. Yeah. This is almost worthless advice, but you got to stick to it, right? Yeah. I mean, I might even have different versions of my resume that like, paint me not not lying right but slightly uh different focuses different focuses right featuring like the devops stuff in one and something else in another or the embedded stuff in another and really kind of sell yourself as somebody who focuses it on that and then tailor it for that particular job that you're applying for that's exactly what he's got to do huh well just like you know anybody anybody selling a product or anything like they kind of have different pitches based on who they're talking to and I think, too, Ethan's young enough that he may find that if he does find a job or an internship or an open source project that he wants to work with, he may either discover he really enjoys that kind of work or he doesn't yet enjoy that kind of work. And so, yeah, I don't I don't you know, reading through his email, he feels like he's in a bit of a rush, like he's looking at summer 2022 and that's not soon enough. And I don't think he's actually in the position he thinks he's in. I would encourage him to follow Mike's advice to the letter is. Maybe even if you're not ready to focus yourself, focus your resumes, focus your tactic. Don't come in as just somebody who's capable of doing everything, whatever you need me to do, because that just says that just screams project to a hiring manager. It just makes you sound like a project. Yeah. All right. Solve that one. Tyler writes in. He's got two situations he wants to run past us. Tyler's also a high school student, I should point out. So uh, this is that's interesting today. Both emails. Mm. Tyler writes, I feel like the attacks on large corporations generally have good underlying intentions. And he's referring to like uh, the employees, you know, uh, like there's like this Apple II hashtag now on Twitter where people are sharing their their Apple stories about, you know, employment issues and stuff like that. Uh, But Tyler says, I think that many people fail to grasp that arguments only have validity when someone else is creating a platform for others to build on. Competition is essential to a functioning economy and therefore to function as a society. If you create a platform and you call it fair, but then cunningly deceive your clients, that's uncool, and that should be banned. However, 
If you try to create these anti-monopoly laws in the wrong way, we could very well end up in a position too dastardly to recover from. I feel bad that Tyler has to worry about these kinds of things. I think what he's trying to say is, while when they do something wrong that has to be stopped, we could very well go too far. In fact, you might argue that Microsoft was a good example of this for a while. They really seem to have their hands tied behind their backs and got lapped by the rest of the market. And they kind of missed out on the mobile situation. They kind of missed out on the beginning of the internet situation. And when Satya Nadella came on board, the other thing that happened around that time frame, and maybe it played a role, maybe it didn't, is some of the overseeing structure that was in place by the government was removed. That time had expired. And so the monopoly watchdog that was like, you know, installed at Microsoft left. They were done. And Microsoft figured out how to play game, play ball with the federal government and buddy up and make contracts and accommodate special national security needs. And they did all the right things. And now they're, you know, they're doing better than ever. So I don't know. I think what Tyler's trying to say is we could screw it up too much if we try to overmanage it. But he has another note and he wants to get your opinion on, Mike. He says, as a high school student, I love programming and I pretty much love doing nothing else but maybe some gaming. I'm curious, just as a programmer, how high in a company can I reasonably expect to rise? He's asking as a developer. I mean, I don't really want to end up as a server administrator, but I also want to progress, grow, and make some money in the process. I'd love to hear your takes on what avenues I should pursue to find a job where he could reasonably rise up in the ranks and make good money. So he wants a good day job, something he could raise up in the ranks, huh? Probably means you're going to look for a company of a certain size. I don't know. What else would you look for? Uh, well, you, you want to look at the history of the company, right? So one, if when you say rise up in the ranks, there, there's rank and then there's money. Right? There are companies that you know ha- don't promote developers into necessarily upper management, but they have like steps on the developer track where you end up just making a ton of money, right? It's possible. There are companies like Microsoft that a good way, unless you're Balmer, which I don't think they'd love, they want to repeat that, a good way to get to the upper C-suite is to be technical, right? Especially if you get on the right projects at the right time. You know, that's often what happens in these companies is you're working in one group, that group does really well, so they kind of tap you for the next big project. And if that project takes off, your career tends to go along with it. I just want to say, by all accounts, Satya Nadella is a lovely dude, like super nice, great to work with. But he's probably CEO today because he was the boss of Azure, which just prints money. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it it helps to be like in the right place. Well, it also was a very strong message to Wall Street that this is the future direction of Microsoft by putting Satya there. Yeah. I mean, we don't have it in the show, but and this is a bit of a diversion. But, you know, Windows 11, not a huge upgrade unless you might like WSL. Yeah. Then it is, right? Then it's a really nice. That's like the best feature of it from what I can It's tell. like the best feature. That and it looks a little more like Plasma, the Plasma desktop. I like that too. Well, I mean, everything has to steal from KDE. <laughs> there. I said one nice thing about KDE. That's it for the next year. <laughs> no, I said, you know, look at the company's organization. You know, a company that's business is technical or engineering focused is probably going to be more open to, you know, a, a good promotion track for that kind of role. My point being, like, if you work at, like, a law firm as, like, the guy who runs their website, that's probably not the best choice for you. Yeah, that's a great point. Having said that, you're super young. You're probably going to switch organizations a bunch of times. So I wouldn't even worry necessarily about it just yet. He's probably not even going to make it until the crash. Let's be honest. He's going to be a... Wait, what? Uh, wait, wait, no. The dot-com <laughs> bubble 2.0? What? Please don't say that now. <laughs> 
Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support the show. I host everything on Linode these days. They've got servers all over the world, 11 different data centers. And to make things really sing, they became their own ISP. So they control the links between their own data centers. They've recently reinvested in their NVMe storage, so it's faster than ever. And their high-end CPU systems have AMD Epic processors. It screams with 40 gigabit connections coming into their hypervisors, a beautiful dashboard to manage it all, and tons of one-click applications. Maybe, for example... You'd like to deploy VS Code Server. Why not have your own VS Code Editor in the cloud, but under your control, on your own box? They have a one-click deployment for VS Code Web Server. It's great. Also, like NextCloud, Jitsi, tons of projects. Maybe you just want to get started on and don't want to spend time setting up. They've got one-click deployments for that. But if you're a DIY kind of person, they got you covered. And it's easy to use their S3-compatible object storage, manage cloud firewalls. They have DDoS protection a powerful DNS manager, and so much more. Linode is all about the community, too. Their community support runs deep. They've invested in projects that make what we do possible, distributions that I use every single day, and they made our road trip possible. And I bring this up because it's like being a good environmental citizen. They're taking care of their neighborhood. They're taking care of their community. They invest in all the important aspects of their business. They've been doing this since 2003. They know how to do it right. But I think you got to go check it out for yourself because there's a lot of places you can host stuff, but nobody checks all the boxes like Linode. So go over there and take advantage of our $100 credit and support the show. It's linode.com slash coder. Get $100 for 60 days on a new account and support the show. Linode.com slash coder. Well, speaking of antitrust and just weird things that don't feel quite right when it comes to these large tech giants, of course, As absolutely 100% expected, Apple is appealing the Epic Games ruling, you know, the one in which it pretty much won every single claim except for a single claim. It is appealing that single claim. Obviously, a 99.9% victory is unacceptable. Well, there was just that one problem, you know, is that was that one little finding that said that Apple violated California's anti-steering rules and demanded that Apple let developers link to outside payments. So it's kind of why they're fighting that one. It's kind of the one they care about the most, too. And then they're using the excuse, which I suppose is legit, of ongoing litigations against Epic to not allow them back into the App Store. <laughs> they're like, you wanted to bring this against us? Well, guess what? You're not getting back in now. And Epic's asked to be back in, and Apple said, nope. I don't understand why Epic thought that we're going to get back in, but... No, and this is just beginning. So, like, Apple has asked to have this appeal. The court has not yet granted the appeal. And if they do, then they will grant a stay. That stay will push out this, this change that Apple would have to implement to at least until December. Apple's plan is to argue... Remember that chicken compromise that they announced a few weeks ago before the epic uh trial finished yeah yeah they're gonna argue it's moot because they already offered a compromise yes they're gonna go into court and they're gonna point to that announcement this is their plan and they're gonna say look we've already agreed to some of this stuff so we not only not only do we think this is bogus but we don't even think it's necessary that's a bunch of dicks i I think the judge is gonna buy it (laughs) i think so too that's yeah so bad oh man and Apple's just going to laugh all the way to the bank, and Epic's going to be screwed in the meantime. I I bet Apple lets them in after all this is done, but it could be a long time. 
Uh, well, I mean, Epic is, quote, screwed. I mean, I don't know. It, even, you know, the court documents, iOS is not that huge of a market for Epic. Real-time feedback, as ByteBitten points out in the chat room, the Netherlands is getting nudged, or the Netherlands is nudging Apple for their uh, App Store payment options. And then today, as you and I were going out the air, the Wall Street Journal published a report that the U.S. Justice Department is quietly, hush-hush, putting together antitrust enforcement against Apple. I guess like they're working with the Biden administration, the White House to go for it. And I'll have a link in the show notes, but they're basically putting together a low key antitrust case against Apple right now in the Justice Department. And that uh, that should be interesting. This all feels super weird to me because like Apple's got to know they're not going to get away with this forever. Remind me again how they're a monopoly with 20 percent of the phone market. Remind me again. I mean, it seems pretty clear that they're going to have to give something on the app store payments. I guess so. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think about it. I mean, I agree they should, but are they truly the monopoly of the market? That just seems like we've completely lost focus on how large Android is as a platform. It just doesn't seem. Well, I mean, as many sad lawyers have made the argument, right? The problem with Android is it is the share monopoly but not the revenue monopoly. I'm sorry, it is the share majority, but not the revenue majority. Like, I wouldn't write a native Android app anytime soon unless somebody paid me to do it. Yeah, from from a revenue standpoint, yeah. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy. So, although I don't think that's a valid argument, I'm not a lawyer, but I can't imagine going into court. But yes, Your Honor, but that 80% of the market won't buy my Smurf berries. <laughs> it just kind of feels like saying that Disneyland has a monopoly on you know, uh, event parks. Well, that's true. Like they are the biggest and they're the most expensive. And when you go in, it is all Disney from top to bottom, but there's six flags. There's, you know, splash mountain. There's, there's other stuff out there. There's Silverwoods in Idaho. There's all, there's other universal studios. They may, they will, if you live in Florida, they will send you a letter every month until you sign up for their pass, reminding you that they're there. I'm guessing wildly, but I bet you if you looked up at the overall percentage of different types of fairgrounds in, in parks like that, Disney's probably the minority if you look around the world. You know, it's like claiming that Disney is has a monopoly on this market. And I I agree that if you go into Disney's park, Disney has a monopoly. But you chose to go into Disney's park. And I know this is an old argument, but I'm just trying to I'm just trying to grasp quite how serious this is because this is a really weird angle to take on it. But like, if you take, if we screw this up and like just thinking about Tyler's email and we say, we take Apple down, what has been changed? What's been accomplished is now on 20 to 30% of the mobile market. There's more flexible payment options. That's what we're going to accomplish. I mean, that's a good thing, I guess, but I don't know. seems like you give Apple five to 12 years and they're going to be there themselves. Anyways, they're I, I, maybe not, but it just doesn't seem like it doesn't solve the overall problem. That's like these, Five tech companies control our entire lives, and you literally cannot go through modern life without touching one of them. That's the real problem we have now. Not that, you know, that 20% of the market can't use Stripe to pay for an app. I mean, it's an issue, but it's, is it really the issue that the Justice Department? Should, I, I don't know. Well, that's what I was going to say. The, the real problem is that to solve the problem you just stated, that these five, you know, monoliths are basically a presence in everyone's life that they cannot realistically avoid, you would need functioning government which we don't have. So the people are just trying to like use the courts as a way to, you know, conjure litigation. And to do that, the only route, because honestly, 
if you want to like dunk on Android people, sorry, most of the audience who has Androids. Another way to look at this: is why don't Android users spend more money? Right? Can you can you actually market to them differently? I think that's a very complicated, very complicated problem. It's a complicated thing, and there's a strong case that if if you're on the Apple side of life, you just say, "It is not my problem. It is not my job to make your software successful." If you don't like our platform, go to the other platform. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, but I, I sort of want that not to be true because like my issue is more all the restrictions on what developers can do, less than 30%, even though it is ridiculous. You know, and maybe I'm wrong. Gus77 in the chat room uh, linked me to CounterPoint market share data that was published on August 16th of 2021. And it shows that for the last, uh, this just goes back to Q1 2020, but basically it just shows a steady growth of iPhone. For, our, for the last year, um, really kind of since the pandemic began, going to today, um, the iPhone has just gobbled up market share. And according to these stats, that now has a 53% market. Now, this, I don't know if this is true, because they also, at one point, claimed it had a 65% market share, and then it dropped down to 55, and now it's a 53. So, I don't know, maybe it's going back down. But um, according to these stats, it's at, a, it's at over 50% of the market. So... I guess you could start considering a monopoly at that point. However, it seems pretty tenuous if if just three quarters ago it was at sixty five percent and now it's at fifty three percent. Seems pretty tenuous monopoly to me. Oh well, this will be another three years. Chris C wrote in. He wants to learn. He says, "I know uh, this is not always topical, but it's a bit of an evergreen question. Something I thought you guys might have some thoughts on. I'm an RN by employment, but I self identify as a general purpose nerd, really, and I've always been more of a hardware guy." I like to solder and, uh, you know, I like to do my own custom sensors and hook them up to Home Assistant. Ha ha! boy, Chrissy. Uh, he goes on to say, for example, I like to wire up the various configurations and always make sure I get the best speed bump. I'd like to learn some basic coding, though, to fill in the gaps of my knowledge. I've got no formal training in anything aside from one credit of VB I took in high school. <laughs> well, that's the most important class, so you got it. Also dating himself slightly. Uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to write uh, standalone software or anything, so any thoughts on, like, maybe what I could do? Remember, I'm somebody with a negative amount of free time uh, or really hardly disposable income, but I can learn some basic coding and programming, uh, but what could I do with zero prior knowledge and that just sounds like a fun challenge i thought maybe uh since chris was working with home assistant i thought this could be an excellent opportunity to learn python because the home assistant project is written in python no that's exactly what i was going to suggest do some of your your home automation stuff in python i mean talk about a great language to jump into there's so many so many um resources to learn python too you found a really a really good one that it's a type of resource that completely clicks with the way I learn. I like this. It's called Understanding All of Python Through Its Built-Ins. So this is an idea of just learning quite a lot about what Python is capable of and its various features by just learning what all of the built-in options are and what they do. Yeah, basically telling you like what, what features, obviously it's not you know comprehensive, but what features... The designers of the language think were so important that they had to have like special built-in functionality for. I have to say it's a pretty novel way. I've never thought of it this way, but you know what? For someone, someone like the writer coming in, kind of technical, but doesn't, you know, not really a programmer, that's probably a good good blog post to look over. Oh man, and it's so extensive. It's so extensive. It's so well done too. 
and formatted really, really well too. So it's very easy to read the actual code and understand what it's doing. It's, it's top notch. The other thing, and this might be, a, maybe he's too advanced for this now, but a spark fun, they sell like boards and stuff, but they have a whole like learn section where they do, they have like videos on how to, you know, you buy the ladder sensor. How do you program it? How do you set it together? How do you do the soldering? I know, I know for him, he already can do the soldering. It sounds like, but that might be a route for folks trying to learn how to do this kind of thing. That could be a really fun way to do it. If you're more of a hands-on visual style learner, that could be a great resource. I'll mention that our friends over at a cloud guru have an entry level Python programmer course that'll help you get a certification as well. The certified entry level Python programmer certification is what it's called. And it's a great place to start when getting started with Python, or if you even want to consider getting a Python certification, go check it out. They'll go over Python data types, control flow structures, data collections, functions, and generators. By the time you complete the course, you should be more than comfortable with Python. I'll have a link to that in the sponsored section of the show notes, or you can go over to a cloud guru and search for certified entry-level Python programmer certification. Quite the mouthful. Link in the show notes at cloudguru.com. And that could be a great way to get started, perhaps. What do you think, Mr. Dominic? Are you ready? Should we uh, should we talk about uh, the big news? Do you feel like we've we've done our duty for the people? I feel like we've done our duty. We've dutied. So tell us about Alice and and what Alice is. And um, I don't know. I, I personally love to hear the backstory stuff. So maybe uh, any of that kind of you want, stuff you want to share, too. Yeah. So it's a it's a conversational UI, right? So that's probably a big part. It lives in Slack and MS Teams. So you interact with it via speech or not speech, but typing. People might notice a couple of weeks ago I was talking about and tweeting my NLT, key, NLT kit using that uh, fast API. Async IO, Rust, via a very, very cool library called PyO3, which lets you take a Rust, um, I'm always, I always mix up how they say this, but basically you know, a Rust module and make it into a Python module that you call and it feels and looks like Python from, you know, from the consumer's perspective, right? The consuming developer's perspective. So that's kind of the... Uh, technical underpinnings, a lot of WebSockety stuff, particularly for Slack because Slack is amazing and has a great WebSocket API that actually works, unlike others. Just on top of that, too, it's it's a tool that so many people already have. Yep. So it's just it's like just plugging into something that's already part of their workflow. Exactly. Exactly. So the whole idea here is to, let's say you're a mid-sized business, right? You have some system, some contractor, probably wrote in VB6, and it's sitting there holding you back, right? You want to move on to more, you know, more, more modern technologies. A, a big need that I kept seeing people kind of calling and reaching out was because of COVID, they're trying to do like more either hybrid working or just straight remote working. Sure. And these systems that are like behind the firewall, weird VB application are causing all kinds of problems. <laughs> so Alice can also live behind the firewall. That's kind of the key. This is not like a SaaS that you subscribe to. This is something where there's an installation implementation. And from there, basically, we take a look at what kind of weird psychedelic data is your proprietary system <laughs> coming out with. Uh, she'll compare it to what she already understands. And we'll get a close approximation. We call it universal data fluency. If we have to tweak it, we will, and we'll go from there. And the, and the key is once she understands the data, we can then convert it into all the other formats she knows. I love this. So 
this is universal data fluency is this concept that your business application may spit out something that really no other application can do anything with, but Alice can understand it and then translate it into something that is usable. Am I following you so far? Right. So she tries to figure it out, right? She gets it and then she keeps comparing it. We have to have a couple expected outputs, but we go from there and piece by piece, she puts together the structure. But then let's say, so the value that you add as a company is if it's something so esoteric, Alice doesn't really recognize what to do with it. You provide the ability to customize Alice in a way to, to help her work specifically with that format. So the business could reach out to you, contract you to do that bit of work, and then they have that forever. Correct. Right. If you have some like really insane thing that is unlike anything else we've ever seen, um, we can just do that as part of the implementation. That's awesome. That's great for you because it means that from time to time you're going to get a contract to do some work and make some revenue that you know makes it worth reinvesting back into Alice. And for pe- for businesses, you know, like the business I've worked with, they absolutely that's a it's a great concept for them because it's like a it's like we we just have to hire this chunk of work. It's not like this ongoing thing that they'll have to do forever. So it's not going to be like this endless pit of money. It's you get this software. You hire them for some from hours some hours of time to do this for us. It's it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, that, that's that's the whole idea. I mean, the the other advantage is once we have an understanding, a comprehension of your your you know proprietary data format. Well, then we can do all the automation stuff that you would expect from any automation tool, right? Like a, a Zapier or something like that, where it's like, oh, I want to automatically you know get this data out of my system and create tickets in Trello, or I want to create, you know, a report, or I want to write an Excel document, stuff like that, or remind, Send a message in Slack. Send a message in Slack, yeah. Save a file and drive, right? All that stuff. The the key is that first step, though, right, of deciphering the actual uh, uh, crazy format. That's why I, that's why I like the Rosetta Stone analogy, because that's, this is a weird history nerd thing. But when the Rosetta Stone was found, it was, a, I think, I believe a French archaeologist. They were able to start translating Egyptian hieroglyphics, which they never could do, because the other languages on the Rosetta Stone were known to them. So that's the, right. that's the whole <laughs> point, right? So that's, yeah. And this seems like a, it seems like it's got to be a pretty common business problem, because I don't think I've been in a single business that doesn't have a problem just like this, where it's either some old app they've purchased, some old application, I should say, or it's something they've built or something like that. And it's just time to move, time to migrate or time to integrate. And it's just like this roadblock they always hit. Yeah, it's kind of how this idea came about. I would constantly be in these uh, sales conversations for projects that went something like this. We have this insane proprietary database we bought from, from some company. That company is now out of business. We don't know how to work with this, so we're stuck on this old application. We want you to write a new one. What's that going to cost? And the answer was always, well, we can't get your data out. Or the cost was just most likely too much for them to want to you know, pursue. This solves that second problem, right? Well, it solves both. This is a, a cheaper solution because it's you know you're just licensing it. And voila, you're, welcome to the modern world. Yeah. Well, and for you as a development shop, it means you don't have to build the customer a GUI that sits on top of this data translation tool that you're one-off building for them. Correct. That's great. I mean, it helps you scale across multiple problems without having to invent some sort of graphical interface every single time. And, oh, man, I think that's really clever. I like it. Do you have an idea of what kind of size 
Like, is this like a small business tool? Is this like a government tool? Like, what do you, what's your idea on that kind of like ideal customer? Yeah, right now I think it's more the the medium to smaller enterprise, not small business, but like you got 50 to like 100 people-ish. Right. Um, where you're you're big enough that you have custom systems already that are probably kind of older. And you could probably use some workflow automation. <laughs> but you're not like, you don't have that giant enterprise contract with like, you know, Microsoft or or who Oracle or whoever, right? And they're probably using some sort of team communication tool and cloud storage and all that. Yeah. That's pretty good. So uh, we should we should mention, if people want to check it out for themselves, alice.dev, and we'll have a link in the show notes. It looks so slick. I, whoever's doing your uh, your Alice artwork, you got to hook me up because uh, that's some good stuff. <laughs> Not a problem. You know, I'll do that. Yeah. you know what I'm saying? I want some of that. <laughs> yeah, the, the the work always comes out good. So so there was a little little hiccup though. Oh, so somehow my domain got flagged as malware. Yes, right, right, right. As you're like about to launch too this weekend, recall, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So I ran around with the, like a chicken with his head cut off all weekend. So I've been like Dick Tracy in the un- underbelly of these cybersecurity companies. That ah, so that's why you got a new Apple Watch. <laughs> I did not get a new Apple Watch. <laughs> I learned something very disturbing, and that is one of the ways these companies decide if your site is malicious is they just look at each other and say, "Did the other one say it's malicious?" Which creates a cascading false positive, which is exactly what happened here. Yeah, so you're, in other words, not only did you have like issues with one, but you had issues with multiple social media sites. Like Facebook and Twitter were blocking you at the same time, right? Uh, yes, I will give Facebook some credit, though. Their, their tool to like put in the URL and like ask them to manually check it, they were, they were very fast. They did it. Next day, you were fine. And I guess the genesis is, is that at one point there was like something wonky on the site, something, something flagged it, but then it just, you just get passed around on these lists, even after it's fixed. I think what happened is at one point last year, I had to have an XE for someone to download and I just put it on the server. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I think that's like a no-no. You can't really, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, yeah. The demo XE. Yep, that, that's right. And then you got flagged and now it's in a database. And it takes months for these databases to propagate is the other thing. Oh, man. You know, uh, you should use Linode object storage for that. <laughs> I really should. That's like the best the solution to this problem. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Well, um, so that's like super last minute stress. I mean, think about, think everybody, put yourself in, in Mike's shoes for a second. You've been pushing for weeks. You've been building towards something. It's now finally time to release it to the world, to go public, to launch it. And your site gets blacklisted by social media which when there's no events going on is like the primary platform to promote something like this. I mean, you must have been extremely pissed. <laughs> uh, I was more pissed when I realized that Twitter, um, their support option is you tweet at them and they ignore you. Yeah, that's also the problem. It's, it's much like the Google Python script of Go Pound Sand. Yeah. Yeah, they arbitrarily decide to censor you for whatever reason. And then there's really no, there's no like re- repercussions you can take. You just, okay. <laughs> you just take well, it. Well, at the same time, emailing me, emailing me to see if I'm ready to run the ads, which I thought was hilarious. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, they'll happily take your ad money. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, let's just wait. So that the only thing not resolved, so the Alice site never had a problem. The Mad Botter site now doesn't, but Twitter has not caught up yet. 
So unless it has, you know, in the last couple hours, but yeah. All right. So and no Optimus Gray. There is no malware on the site. It's just it's all good. This crap it's takes good. forever. Now, here's my question. When you started this, this, this project, you must have expected that by now trade shows would be a thing and that you'd be out there shucking and jiving, shaking hands. I have a box of coasters. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I did. And the stickers and stuff like that. I was, uh, yeah, I was thinking, all right, we'll be going to like, like, you know, Southeast Linux or somewhere in Denver, right? We'll be doing something. No, no, we're not. So do you feel like that's going to be a, uh, an impedance? Like it's going to be a softer launch because of that? Um, I, I don't know. Right. This is where I, I'm a little out of my depth. So I, I hired a a kind of like PR consultant lady. And when I told her that you couldn't tweet the link to the company site, I could hear her head explode on the phone. She's like, I quit. (laughs) She's like, I hate it. What did you do? She's like, it's like nothing. So the the marketing strategy is going to be uh, social media targeting, giving the Big Bad Blue app money. Both Big Bad Blue apps, actually. Yeah. I historically do not believe in this. So this is kind of a maiden voyage for me. Mm. You know, I'm I'm I've got like Savvy Cal running. I'm I'm all hip now, Chris. I'm it's Ooh. gone or the martini bar, you know, side deals at the trade show days. <laughs> Now you're schlepping it with the rest of us on the internet. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm like thinking about CPM and I'm like, I don't, I don't like how this works. It sounds like I'm going to spend a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. You say, and you start thinking like, well, okay, so then, okay, how much is each person worth to me? And I don't know about that line of thinking, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, do I want to like advertise on like tech podcasts or is everybody be like, ah, we could do this on a weekend as developers will. That's a good question, huh? So I'm, I'm trying, actually, I got to talk to you about that too, but I, I'm, probably going to hold my horses until the end of the month mm. see what happens organically and i have some existing customers i'm reaching out to you know i feel icky giving facebook money yeah yeah but from yeah. what i've been advised and it's just like disturbing how granular you can get i mean it must work or else cbs and the wall street journal and the new york times wouldn't be going after facebook on a daily basis anymore you know it must work it's it seems kind of like okay so you know we're we're a uh, we're a small business, so we want to target people we can reasonably kind of access, right? So okay, let's say the Southeast United States and like the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area where I have you know existing relationships, stuff like that. And the company, like company size, you can target the title of the person or what type of work they do. Do they have a dog? I mean, it's it's really it's pretty impressive, huh? And it's disturbing in a lot of ways. Yeah. But I'm going to try it because it's, you know, I would much rather go to like Linux Fest Northwest, even though I wouldn't be presenting there and just like bump into somebody who might want something, right? Or, you know, one of the kind of more business-oriented Chambers of Commerce uh, shows I used, I used to do down here. If you came to Linux Fest Northwest, you could just sit at the JB table and you would have a line of people who want to talk to you. <laughs> that's, yeah, but they're all angry PHP developers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, I think you know, you're, you're right in a sense. Like I could see you trying to pitch us at a tech audience and then be like, oh, I could, I could build a shell script that would take that data file and convert. But the reality is – the value that you're really offering is the ability to, here's a done thing 
And for a set fixed amount of cost, we can customize said thing. And then we can provide support for that if there needs to be a change for future application compatibility down the road. That bulk of work ain't nobody in IT got time for. Nobody with a job today has time for that. And the people who would be willing to go home and spend their evenings building that for their company, I hope they're getting paid a lot because they're very, very, very dedicated and valuable to that company. But your real value there is you've solved, if not the entire problem, 90% of the problem. And then you, because you're not Slack, because you're not some huge company, because you are a development shop that is, you know, approachable by a 100 to 200 person company. Uh, you can you can interface with them and have a business relationship that they can't have with a larger solution or, a, a, you know, a, a guy named Ted who spent the night building a bash script. That's the real value. Right. And we're also not coming in with some platform that's going to like, you know, it's, you don't have you don't have to go full Oracle. I pick on Oracle because it's Oracle, <laughs> right? You don't you don't you don't have to like replace everything you have, including your coffee machine. It's like, no, just. Alice kind of just sits there and helps you out. You want to stick with whatever weird... By the way, the amount of huge businesses that I have spoken to in my very, very lame sales attempts that are just running on access and they're ashamed. You can hear it. Well, actually, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's access. Mm-hmm. Like the, the IT guy knows what he's doing as well. You know what the sad thing is? They're a notch above the folks that are running it all out of a spreadsheet. <laughs> That's the sad reality. Yeah, I have people in my family, uh, Ma, who are, I don't th- know what I would call this, but it's Excel sorcery. Sure, yeah. Like, I have seen spreadsheets do things yeah. that I did not think were possible. Yeah, they like have their whole, a whole environment in there. It's- and they're running VB6, of course. They just don't know it. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is exciting because it's a project that you're shipping that is like the realization of a lot of the technologies we've been covering over the last six months on the show. And so now it's like we're going to see how they actually do in practice. Yes, we are. And of course, it, it's done. But obviously, I'm adding more integrations, which means more data formats. And we're just going to keep on trucking. Alice.dev, if people want to go check it out. Datadog.com slash radio. Get a free trial and see why so many listeners of Coda Radio have been trying out Datadog. They're the monitoring and security platform for developers, security analysts, and operational teams in the cloud age. You can unify your metrics, your traces, and your logs all in one place. That means you troubleshoot issues faster and you break down silos between teams and communicate better. And you can create beautiful real-time dashboards for over 450 technologies that you're going to want to integrate with in just minutes. And you can easily pivot from like a high-level overview of your entire environment right down to a granular visualization of specific events and specific metrics. Datadog offers infrastructure monitoring, application performance monitoring, security monitoring, log monitoring, user monitoring. It's all in one place. So go get started today with their free trial at datadog.com slash radio. See why you can and why thousands of other companies trust their monitoring to Datadog. Coder Radio listeners love it, and you will too. And if you start a free trial and you create one dashboard, well, guess what? Datadog's going to send you a free t-shirt. Free t-shirt and a free trial, and you support the show. <laughs> Doesn't get better than that. Datadog.com slash Radio. But before we get out of here, I wanted to pontificate something at you, okay? You heard about this big old Twitch leak 
that that happened where they got the source code and <laughs> did you see the commit notes oh man no i didn't they're glorious oh yeah they're glorious. <laughs> one guy committed i don't know why this works <laughs> <laughs> awesome Way to go, Amazon. Goodbye. So what I thought was interesting is when I read through um, some numbers that the Wall Street Journal went through, they did some maths. I was getting a lot of App Store vibes from this. And the situation that we've been talking about with developers, I think, is happening at an even faster rate with even um, less oversight to content creators. Now, check this out, okay? The top 1% of Twitch streamers made over half of all the money paid out in 2021 so far. Doesn't that sound like exactly how it works with the App Store? Are they also selling Smurf berries? <laughs> 189 million so far this year, up from 517 million over the same period last year. Three quarters of the users making any money this year have made less than $120. Three quarters of the users have made less than $120. Wow, that sounds like the Android app store. And here's what's even wild is the Wall Street Journal's analysis excluded 896,000 accounts that have either made less than 120 or actually owe Twitch money for some reason. <laughs> There's 800 and, oh, 890 accounts, 890,000 accounts that they basically are excluding from this analysis. Uh, the best paid streamer on Twitch made more than 5 million this year so far. This is just into September. Only zero. 0.06% of Twitch streamers received over the U.S. median house income of $67,000. A quarter of all revenue was earned by the top 1,000 accounts. The top 1% of Twitch streamers made over half of all money paid out in 2021. Um, these might be worse than the App Store numbers. That's what I'm saying, and it's happening at a faster pace, too. Amazon's only owned Twitch for a few years. I'm frantically trying to look up the App Store numbers, but I, I'm not going to be able to do it fast enough. And let me tell you, my friend, the situation's not great with Spotify and podcasts either. They're trying to do the same exact thing. I was thing. just going to say, Marco Arment was just on Twitter going off about Gimlet, Glimlet, something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't Spotify own them now? Or? Yeah. And it's apparently he was like an investor and they're doing this kind of lockdown stuff or paywall, whatever. Yeah, that's right. He got a payout when Spotify bought them. Oh, good for him. I mean, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Isn't, that, isn't that nice? <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, it's happening to content at a pretty rapid pace. I mean, I'm, I just want to say, Mr. Fisher, build that wall. I know. Well, Spotify did, did hit me up with a proposal. It was like super low ad rates, but it was like guaranteed three ads a show. Um, and you get access to our music library. And I went, what? Let me think about that. But no, I'm not. No, wait, no. wait <laughs> to like do a DJ show. Yeah, no, but you could. But yeah, like if you use their, so you have to switch your publishing platform, you have to switch to their feed servers and all that kind of stuff. But if you publish through, you can, you still, I, I, I'm not sure about this. I think you can still make an, I think you can still have a public RSS feed, but you have to publish through their system. But if you do that, they let you, they give you license like a radio station to their music library. So you can, you could do a DJ show or we could have like, you know, your favorite song is our intro music, that kind of thing. But you have to sell your soul. They own they own you. They own the content and uh, they own all the ad deals and they give you a very small cut, but they give you a lot of small cuts. <laughs> I mean, have you ever read the Apple developer agreement? The soul's already got a got a couple markers on it. I know. And Twitch is doing the same thing. Yeah. YouTube is going down its dark route. I tell you, it is uh, the, the only thing that's really going to save podcasting is if listeners continue 
to use and insist they use their own podcast apps, their favorite podcast app. If they use these, you know, and I, we have people listening on Spotify and I'm, I, I am grateful they listen, especially if it's the best way or only way for you to listen. But the, the best thing you could do is subscribe to the show at coder.show slash subscribe in an independent podcast app that isn't owned by Apple or Amazon or Spotify. I love Overcast, right? It's great. You'll pry it from my cold, dead hands. Hey, what, whatever happened to Pocket Cast? Are they still around? Yeah, they got bought by like a group that NPR was part of. And now they're selling it. They're selling it again. So that group is selling it off. They used to be indie, right? They were like a couple of folks. I could have sworn. Is it, wasn't it like Shifty Jelly was the name of the, the corporation? Good memory. Yeah. And then they got bought by NPR and this, this group of like um, public radio stations and other folks. And then NPR pushed hard for uh, tracking, in-app tracking that would basically ping an HTTP address when you pause, rewind, fast forward, skip, you know, that kind of stuff to try to create metrics of where people are listening and not listening. And they wanted to create an industry standard of tracking in the podcast apps. And they wanted to deploy that in Pocket Cast first and have Pocket Cast sort of roll it out and everybody followed suit. And um, thankfully, we have enough independent podcast app creators that said no. And they have enough market share that they could say no. And so it never took off and the tracking standard never was adopted. And so I think NPR got kind of frustrated and their group and they've just decided to sell it. This sounds an awful lot like streaming video content where if you want to watch Star Trek Discovery. Yep. God damn it, CBS. That's exactly what they want to do. And if you if you listen in the Spotify app, they have metrics of where you listen, what you re, what you rewind, what you skip. They know everything. That's a that's a bit creepy. Let's see. Just let me have my podcast. I mean, <laughs> podcast ads used to be at least on me the most one of the most effective ways to advertise. Like, yeah, I, I buy stuff off podcast ads even today all the time. I think it's the kind we do though, right? Like when you hear like when you when you turn on a Planet Money or something, and they blast you with two pre-produced ads that aren't even from the hosts that do the show. Like they don't stick at all for me. They 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 don't register at all. But if somebody comes on and you know, uh, like I, you know, at the beginning of the year, I bought some uh, Warby Parker pants. I, I think it's Warby Parker, right? No, not they Warby, make pants. Uh, I thought they make no, glasses. No, 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 no. I'm getting them mixed up. But that's the advertising. It works. Warby Parker is the glasses, exactly. But that was an ad. But no, I'm thinking of Mac Weldon. I, I I bid on a Mac Weldon deal in a podcast ad, you know. But I I don't normally buy it on those ads that are just pre rolls and pre-produced and all of that i mean i buy stuff off jb ads all the time as should you that's right that's right absolutely that's how you do it that's how you pay for the tea links in the show notes i'm just worried about this and where it's going um because really it's just sort of the trend of everything to get centralized like this <laughs> and um i don't know i guess thankfully we have a very geeky audience so they're likely to continue to want things like open rss feeds and web pages with show notes and stuff like that <laughs> but maybe not maybe the average listener won't or maybe it'll maybe it'll change how people consume the media well you know all those, all those linux guys buying the m1s that's the, that's the gateway drug right there chris i have a confession to make yes <laughs> oh my god this would be the best show ever you bought an m1 i ordered an m1 last night which one I got the Mac Mini fully decked, fully decked. Yes, I did yes. it because I've gotten words from the uh, from the developers of uh, I'm trying to say it right, Asahi Linux, 
word they've put the word out that they are very very close that they've got a functional usable desktop right now i saw that too yeah. yeah and they're working on an image and an installer it'll probably be out soon so i did it i did it i'm going to i'm going to i want to i want to get it in time to try it out when they release it so because there's a bit of a delay right now it's like the end of the month is when it's going to ship if i got it all you know stock with the crappy amount of storage that they include and the crappy amount of ram yeah apple doesn't believe in like photoshop files or anything or audio files or video no or uh, like that. Yeah. no i know, I know <laughs> right and it's like the way it's going to work right now is you have to dual boot there isn't like get rid of mac os and you'd want to keep mac os for firmware updates and whatnot so you're you need enough disk space to have enough room for both operating systems to live happily so you got to upgrade it you know so i have a confession Oh, <laughs> I have a problem that I don't know how to solve without selling and replacing my air. Oh, I have run out of storage. Yeah. And when I say I have run out, I had to update Mac OS there and I had to delete stuff to update Mac OS. Have you tried cloud storage? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I really don't understand Apple's just like ridiculous markup on on h on hard drives it's so bad still and memory it's so bad it's so so bad it's so bad i mean i bought the m1 because uh if it can run linux effectively and i think it will i may transition it eventually to my home server in my rv which is currently a couple of raspberry pis right but you know the mac mini has a pretty good power uh draw even at full load it's like 33 watts and it has pretty low noise, and it has really good thermals. And I could easily pull my two or three Raspberry Pis and put one M1 Mac Mini running Arch and let it just, you know, be my powerhouse. So I think that might be the ultimate trajectory. So my bet on Asahi Linux is that I just can run it as a headless Linux box. I mean, I think they'll get the graphical environment accelerated, but even if they don't, it's still a win for me. So I decided to pull the trigger. I don't think the M1 as they are today, could function as a desktop for me because absolutely, especially if I was using a Mac, I would I would need a lot of virtualization capacity. So, yeah, that we're talking a minimum 32 gigs of RAM because, you know, I'm probably legitimately, I often have two or three different VMs going on depending on what I'm working on for, you know, a show or something like that. It can be a lot. So, I, yeah, that'd have to be a factor. But, you know, it's coming soon, I suspect. You could always... uh could always gift this the uh, heir to the kid or to the girlfriend and then get yourself an m1x or something <laughs> why would you ever encourage my listen i have podcast ads to buy All right. i know i'm the worst i'm the worst oh boy but yeah um i'm excited to try it out although if it comes in a different color or shape i'll have to i'll have to give it a go with mac os for a couple of days just to get a feel for it but i suspect by the time i'm receiving it the uh, linux project will be ready with their installer i am going to tell you mac os why did Apple break Safari on iOS? Oh, you having a hard time? Well, if I have a field such as the Google for work or whatever they call it now, G Suite, whatever, sign-in page, and I don't want to be on that page, but somehow the password field got focused, the keyboard blocks my ability because they've put the URL bar on the bottom to actually get out of that without having to do a very unintuitive top of the screen like slap swipe thing there's way too much going on down there now it's very non-intuitive i don't understand i feel like it's something i would do to people as a prank at like a cocktail party <laughs> it does seem like a prank i turn on like colorblind <laughs> mode on people's phones when they leave them unlocked like i 
I honestly thought someone was screwing with me. I'm like, Reese, you're five. You're amazing. Did you just like break my phone? They put the, the window selection down there, the URL, URL bar selection down there. If you're on the iPad with a the keyboard, there's a little keyboard thing that's down there. And the task switcher is down there. Oh, they did it to the iPad too. I didn't update my iPad yet. Oh, God. It's like they, I tweeted a couple weeks ago about Safari on Mac being just what the hell? Like a psychedelic nightmare of tabs changing colors. Yeah, I think it's great. I love it. <laughs> I'm just letting you know you are you are coming from the sublime world of KDE. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You're gonna you're gonna hate it. I tell you, I, I I use Safari very sparingly, so it doesn't really it doesn't hit me very hard. Like I had a dream. I'm like, maybe Apple should just buy Elementary. Like seriously, just huh? Like Elementary. I know they don't love this comparison, but it's like a good version of Mac OS. Yeah, back when it was good. Right. It's like. It's prettier Snow Leopard, right? They, I mean, they've done modern improvements, of course. Snow Leopard's super old now, but it's like back when macOS was designed to be a good interface and not trying to keep up with yearly trends of design themes that the design department comes up with. I don't think anybody, like, and I mean literally anybody, was like, you know, what would be great in my web browser: the inability to see that I have other tabs open unless I magically remember. <laughs> and also, why don't we change my screen's color to neon orange and then black and then blue and then red? Because yeah. the branding and the best is, so then I, of course, had to check the Alice site because I'm like, is this obnoxiously blue? It is not. I don't know why it's not. I went to the Mad Botter site. Is it going to be like crazy purple? It is not. But somehow, my, my GitLab instance is the most aggressive form of fire orange that i have ever seen in my life yeah it's great it's just it's, great i blame safari <laughs> i blame safari not, not get left. johnny i would never let this ship he would be like what are you doing make it chrome and you you put the adobe program down sorry i miss johnny f uh, i want to say thank you to our coder qa team out there the new coderly has been recorded and it will be edited as soon as uh, Drew is available. He's a busy guy, and we just sort of slipped that in on him. But it'll be out in the feeds sooner than later. So if you haven't signed up yet, head over to coderqa.co. You become a member. You support the show. You also get a limited ad feed, and you get access to that Coderly report, coderqa.co. Mr. Dominic, where do you want to send people this week? Uh, go to alice.dev. And if you all could do me a favor, any little bit of help in this scary new world of social media helps. So retweet, whatever. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, help celebrate by helping spread the word. Seems like we need it more than ever these days. Between between getting blocked by social media and there being no events, definitely could use the help. You can also find him on Twitter at Dumanuku. His company's at The Mad Botter Inc. I'm there too, at Chris LAS. Podcast Network's at Jupiter Signal. The show's at Coder Radio Show. At Coder Radio Show. Links to what we talked about today are coder.show slash 435. Our open and free RSS feed, that's there coder.show slash subscribe you're also going to find our contact form your emails they're a big part of our conversation send them in your thoughts your suggestions your ideas your upsets coder.show slash contact and you can also join us live mondays at noon pacific 3 p.m eastern over at jblive.tv thanks so much for joining us see you right back here next week